you know. Well, there we are. This morning's sermon is called Bones, uh, subtitled The Unfortunate Tale of Harry Farry. See, the music team said to me this morning, what's your theme going to be on uh, this morning so we can choose songs to go with it? And I said, it's going to be about bones. Go your hardest, you know. <laughs> How'd you do, fellas? Pretty good. All right. What I'm going to do is actually, I've got a, a metaphor, or if you're an English teacher here, you will correct me and tell me it's a simile. It doesn't really matter. It's a word picture that's uh, come to me. And, um, uh, and in case you're worried about me developing a metaphor or a word picture. Uh, Jesus used to do this all the time. Um, you'll just flick up on the second slide there. Jesus was always using word pictures to illustrate, and I'm not going into any of those, it's just there to show you, that word pictures and metaphors are part of biblical language and biblical narrative. And um, so I was, uh, this morning's metaphor that we have is truth is like a skeleton. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Truth. Ooh. This is, this is awkward. Golly. Truth is like a skeleton. This is Harry, okay? Harry Farry. Harry the Pharisee. Here he is. Truth is like... A truth is like a skeleton. So where did I come up with this? What on earth is going through my mind, you ask? And, and it's a good question. One night I was getting ready for bed and I had a really sore shin. And I was rubbing it. And as I was rubbing it, I could feel the bone, which might surprise you because there's a lot of fat there, but I could feel the bone and, and it was quite pronounced. And my mind, as my mind often does, went a-wandering. I thought, oh, isn't that funny? It's like there's the shin bone. Does anybody ever do things like this? Think to yourself, it's a bone, you know. It's like Gene was talking about this morning, he, had a, he broke the bone in his arm. And then I began to think about, how weird is that? There's a whole skeleton inside of me. How weird is this? In this building this morning, sitting on all of these chairs, a whole stack of skeletons. That's a bit creepy, isn't it? <laughs> But you see, we know, it, there, it's true. Just let your mind go there for a minute. It's true. We've got, we've got pelvises and skulls and bony little creepy little fingers. But the only reason we, we don't see this sitting on all the seats is because we're covered in... Uh, that's not how we see it. Because we're covered in flesh and bone and we have life in us and breath going in and out and, and metabolism going to every cell and we've got life and we've got vitality and we've got the spirit of God in us. And so we don't, this is not what we see on the seats here this morning. And aren't you glad? But the fact of the matter is, this is, is, this is what is sitting on every seat here this morning. And that's a scary thought. We instead have lots of soft, cuddly people. Some of us are a little bit more cuddly than others. And this, this is the premise upon which I'm about to launch. But before I do that, speaking of heresy, I'm going to throw, uh, we're going to put three scriptures up, we're going to read them and we're going to refer back to them as we go. Now, so the first scripture we've got is John 14, verse 6. Jesus answered, he said, I am the way and the truth 
and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We're pretty familiar with that one. Then we've got John 8, 31 to 32. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. And then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And the last scripture that we will probably come back to, John 1, 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory and the glory of the one and only Son who came to the Father full of grace, full of truth. Jesus, he is the truth. Jesus, he is full of truth. And if you walk in him, you walk in the truth. Okay, so back to what we're talking about today. We're talking truth is like a skeleton. And so I began to think about it. Just as we have a skeleton in us, that is the framework upon which all the rest of us rests and moves and acts. We have our strength. Even as Jean was saying this morning, he broke his arm. And that would have been awful uh, having the, you know, he knows that he would have lost use of his arm because the bone was broken. So truth, it all needs to be, the skeleton in us all needs to be in order and truth needs to be in order too. But what has happened in our world today, truth has become... um, a controversial word. Truth has become a controversial word in our particular society. So I want to have a look at five responses that we would have to a skeleton and just see how that fits together with the responses that has happened and that does happen with truth. Well, the first response is up there on the screen. The first response that you might see for a skeleton is it's dead. It's no longer of any use. Let's just bury it and leave it alone. Yeah? That is sometimes what happens with truth, the truth as we understand it. The truth as we understand it as Christians. Now, we've been singing a whole lot of it this morning. I've been paying particular attention to the lyrics of what we've been singing this morning. Oh, what a saviour. Uh, he is the lion and the lamb. We, we understand the truth of the word of God. We understand our fallen condition, our need for a saviour, uh, the gospel of redemption. We understand healing and salvation and many, many other doctrines that we have, that, we've, that have formed through the ages. That's what we understand. Um, and that is the framework upon which we hang our faith, yeah? That is the framework upon which we hang our faith. But one of the responses that has come out and about, you hear it in the media, you know, oh, the Christian church is in decline, la, 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 la. Um, and, the, and the truth upon which we have built our life is that it is, it's dead, it's got no life in it, let's just bury it and leave it alone. This is, not, this is becoming a secular society. Have you heard that? Um, I perhaps are willing to acknowledge Christianity as an ancient religion, it's an ancient religion. We can give it uh, credit for that. But, you know, as far as seeing it as anything other than a dead ancient religion, it's dead, it's just superstition, it's just uh, things that people hang on to because they are insecure, you know, it, it's not relevant anymore. That is one of the responses to the truth as we know it, okay? Just the bones. That's one of the responses to it. Second response that we sometimes see to a skeleton, if you were to see a skeleton, it's repulsive, it's disgusting, it's like, you know, I've never actually seen one, a a real one, but if you were to stumble upon one in your back garden, 
as you were digging up your carrots? You may have that response. It's like, you know, you would freak out. It's awful, okay? Now, that is something that I see in the world today too. There has become not just a, oh, it's dead and it's not relevant attitude towards the truth of the word of God as we know it, but there has become a, this is actually a dangerous and a, uh, a disgusting teaching that gets out and about, particularly against fundamental ideals and principles. Have you, have you sensed that? Has anybody sensed that? I've sensed that. Um, and of course, we have some really clever jargon that we use, which if you don't really understand what it means, it does sound really creepy. We need to be crucified with Christ. Picture that for a minute. That's a bit creepy. Uh, we need to wash in the blood. Anybody? We need to take hold of the broken body of Christ and eat it. Okay, so you know what I mean, but not everybody knows what that means. Of course, that's, work, that's also, you know, there's a whole lot of symbolism and, and uh, there's a whole lot of doctrine and understanding that goes behind that, but we have our jargon, right? And people who have never heard of it before might think, you, you know, scary stuff. Of course, we have our Pentecostal jargon too. That's always fun. I'm going to lay hands on you and you will be slain in the spirit. <laughs> you know what I mean. But that doesn't really sound great if you don't know what I mean. Do you understand what I'm saying? So our responses to those sorts of truths. And then we have our moralistic truths, our moral principles. What we believe and how people should live. Okay? Now... 20, 30 years ago, any Christians here from back in those ages, 40 years ago, there wasn't, not a, there wasn't a great issue. There's no issue. But if I was to uh, stand on a platform and um, recount all of my moral principles, m- maybe not this platform, I don't, I'm not sure, I'm not sure how I'd go, uh, at any platform, it's likely um, that people would, you know, begin to react violently to it. This is disgusting. This is repulsive. What you're saying, how could you say that? And the next thing you know, um, I'm dangerous. I'm cultish. Uh, and, and the favourite one that's spinning around in the society at the moment is that the Christian church, is um, they preach hate and judgment. Now, you've heard that, yeah? And you think, how, how, wait a minute, what happened? What happened? 30, 40 years ago, we would say the same thing and it wouldn't, you know, there was no reaction. Now there's this repulsion and this disgust and these accusations. And you take a step back and you think, wait a minute, that's not right. What's happened here? And I was thinking about this particularly and thinking to myself, is it because the world has seen this? I'm holding up a skeleton for those people listening on podcast. Has seen... <laughs> has seen some bony hands, and, and, and well, but they have not seen the flesh and blood covered hand of Christ or, you know, the love that comes when you touch a person. Imagine if we had one of the... I wanted to get a, a life-size one this morning. That would have been really creepy. Um, and then put a, an usher's badge around it. Imagine if we had Harry at the door with an usher's badge on there to greet people as they came in. 
It's the truth. That's what's, that's what's here today. That's, that's it. That's the foundation. But how is that received? It's not received so well. You remember Jesus became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And he had life, he had breath, and he had the spirit of God. Well, he was God. And when he was in the world, he would touch people, constantly touch people. And he would touch people he shouldn't touch. He was always touching people who were unclean. Lepers were unclean, ceremonially unclean. The immoral, he was always touching the immoral, letting the immoral touch him. The woman who washed his feet with her hair. Jesus touched people and allowed people to touch him because he was the word made flesh, right? He is the truth and he is the way, but they did not see this. This is not what they saw. They saw a man who touched them. And today, of course, we are the body of Christ, the temple of the Holy Spirit. So is this what they see? The truths as we know them, our principles? Or do they feel the touch of our hand, a soft touch, a hug, the love of Christ, the, the hand that picks somebody up, the hand that, as Nick uh, preached a couple of weeks ago, hands out. Truth is not a what, truth is a who. Jesus is the truth. I heard one of my university lecturers say that when you're trying to figure out what the truth is, she always lines it up with how does this fit with who Christ is and how he would act. Because if we've got a doctrine, and you've got to understand sometimes we have doctrines and sometimes there's truth in it, but it might not necessarily be constructed right. Uh, but sometimes we hold really dearly and really closely to these doctrines and sometimes they are quite harsh and quite scary and people are repulsed by them. And I'll talk about that a bit more in a minute. The third response to a skeleton that we sometimes see is a fascination. It's fascinating and bears more scrutiny. In fact, let's write a thesis. Nearly every university in this country will have courses that are run on... Um, the Bible, theology, and uh, Christianity as a religion. In fact, there are some um, university lecturers who can, can, can quote the Bible chapter and verse probably better than you or I can, and yet there's no life in it. They're not studying it because they're attached to it through life. I'm talking about secular universities who study the Bible as a text, as an ancient text. It's dead. To them, it's dead, and it's a dead religion. It's one of many religions, one of many ancient religions that are dead, but they're fascinated by the concepts of it and um, by the Bible as a, a narrative that they study. Okay, So once again, it is just the bones. There is no flesh on it. There's no life in it. It doesn't mean anything other than the fact that it's something to study. Now, if you read the, the passage that I've got up there from Ezekiel, speaking of bones... Because I said to a couple of people, I'm preaching on bones. Oh, you're preaching on Ezekiel. Well, not particularly, but since you brought it up. Um, Ezekiel 37. Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make you breathe, enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. 
I will put breath in you and you will come to life and then you will know that I am the Lord. Now I read the complete passage, I haven't got the complete passage up there but I read it and, and um, later on it, it, was, it was Ezekiel was actually prophesying and it was um, the dry bones were a metaphor for dry spirits and lost hope and it talked about him bringing hope back to Israel. It was a, a picture, if you like, of God bringing back hope to Israel and to his people. So this brings us back to that thing again, once again. When you're studying the word of God, because honestly you can study the word of God until you're blue in the face. If you do not have the life of Christ in it, you've only got the bones. You have to have the spirit of God in it and the flesh on it. If you do not have the flesh of Christ, the word made flesh to dwell amongst us, in us and through us, people then all we've got is dry bones and yes people might find it interesting they might be repulsed by it they might want to bury it but um, we need to have Christ alive we need to have the breath of God within the bone structure the breath of God and the flesh of Christ on it the fourth response to skeletons truth can be a handy tool to scare people into submission Particularly in the Dark Ages, it was a favourite one. Hell and purgatory were favourites to make sure that people would stay into the line and there was good control of the people. Uh, and while we're talking about that, you know, um, in the Dark Ages, of course, you could be uh, burnt at the stake for heresy too. Thankfully, they don't do that anymore. Um, but it wasn't just in the Dark Ages that we used truth to try to scare people. Who's ever heard of the drama Hell's, Hell's Flames, Heaven, Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames? Anybody? Did any, anybody seen it? Heard of it? I was in that drama once. <laughs> uh, they had an American fellow come across to our church and he was a bit of a Gestapo sort of fellow. And uh, you'll do it this way. Bang. Right, okay. Did exactly what he said. But my giddy aunt, did they use some scary tactics? Uh, and did we have a lot of people racing forward to get saved on that? I'll tell you what. I'm not so sure about the drama now because I have a feeling that the responses were very much motivated by fear. It has a, uh, an aspect of fear about it and I'm not really sure that that was the whole motivation of Christ. Now, somebody might say, yes, but you must fear the Lord. Yes, but there's a vast difference between the fear which is the reverence and the respect and the honour fear of God and the terror and anxiety which is what this was it's like let's give them a bolt of terror and then they'll run to the Lord and that will that'll learn them right okay um, and that is a, a response to a skeleton obviously if you go on a ghost ghost train you'll have a skeleton pop up and everybody screams um, and they use it in horror movies all the time all right church is not supposed to be a horror movie the message of Christ is not supposed to be a horror movie the message of Christ is a message of love and, and come to me. You know, we sang a song, the Father's arms are open wide. Oh, come to, the Father's arms are open wide. The Father's arms don't look like this. And I'm holding up Harry's skeleton arms again. Can you imagine? Come to me. <laughs> I 
very spooky. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, we want to sort somebody out. So this is, just imagine this is a skeleton and I rush at you with the skeleton. Ah, boom, you know, here, come to Christ. And that's what we throw at people, you know. Um, it's like, ooh, I don't think so. Uh, I don't think Christ is about fear. The fear of the Lord is different to terror and anxiety. The last response to a skeleton. <clears throat> of course, when people find old bones back in the day, they used to sharpen them and shape them and form them into weapons. How often do we as Christians sharpen our truths so that they can become a weapon, so that we can attack people? I have seen that done and possibly done it myself once or twice um, over many years. The word of God, taking the word of God to our enemy, the devil, and standing firm and fighting the fight against spiritual forces using the word of God is vastly different to attacking people, to sort them out. Can you hear what I'm saying? In church history, well, I mean... We all know of broken people and over history has shown us people, people are broken. We've all been broken if we're really honest. And when we come to Christ, we don't come to be beaten around the head with um, weapons made of bone if you, or truth. We come to him for healing. We come to him for comfort. The Father's arms are open wide. It's a bit scary when we start to shape and manipulate the scriptures so that we can win a war and win a battle because I'm not quite sure that that is what God had in mind. If you think about Gene and his broken arm, I don't know if, if the bone in your arm, it, possibly your arm was all misshapen and out of whack. Some people, the bone actually protrudes out of the arm and and it's like, you know, you know the bone is out of place. That's not right. That's not how that bone should sit. Well, sometimes truth is like that. You can see that the, the limb is out of shape or the bone is protruding from the skin. And you know that's not right. That's not how that's supposed to be. It is truth, but it's not how it's supposed to be. That's not how it's supposed to be used. Do you understand what I'm saying? The message of Christ is... There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. We need to remember he didn't call us. He, the, I mean, sometimes in the past, have you ever heard somebody say, I'd never come to church because if I came to church, the roof would fall in. Has anybody ever heard somebody say that? Because they live under the impression that until they've tidied themselves up and got their act right and are living according to the, the moral truths that we understand, that they sim simply couldn't possibly come into the church. Now that goes across a broad range and particularly in our society when there's so many people who don't live according to um, our moral interpretations. They don't come into church because they feel like the roof would fall in. They feel like they have to clean themselves up first but that's not the order that Christ gave. That's putting the cart before the horse. Christ said, come to me or, or you are broken, weary and heavy laden. He would give them rest. He gives them salvation. It's not that we clean ourselves up and then Christ accepts us, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Before any of us ever 
sorted ourselves out. The only reason we might sort ourselves out is in response to the fact that we have connected with him. In response to the fact that his Holy Spirit has come into us and begins to build us and change us, then we begin to clean our act up, yeah? But even then, in this day and age, I don't think any of us sitting here are like have reached that state of perfection yet. Yeah, anybody? Just checking. It doesn't seem like it. Um, none of us have reached that stage of perfection yet, but we need to be sure that when people come, they need to understand that you don't have to be perfect or even right. You can be a complete and utter mess. You can be completely out of control with addictions and living in wrong relationships and the whole thing. You need to understand that that, that is not your being clean and right living is not your precursor to coming to Christ. Coming to Christ is he has come for you. Who was Jesus out after? He was always out after the ones who were wrong and upside down and, and misshapen and out of, out of whack completely. So what is truth? You shall know the truth, or you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Truth is, is Christ and in Christ. But we live in a world where we are plagued by doubt. Have, have you noticed that? Obviously the world is plagued by doubt, but have you noticed that even within the church, there is a doubt that is coming up in people's minds? And they're, they're beginning to doubt a lot of things. And you think, well, why is that? Well, I thought about it some. You know, 20, 30, 40 years ago, the way that we as a society operated was, you went to school, the teacher said, A, B, C, D, write that down, you did. If you didn't write down exactly as it was, it was wrong, no negotiation entered into. We used to go to church. The minister would say, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, that's the way it is, no negotiation entered into. But we don't live in that same world anymore. I've just done an education degree and I know that one of the foundational things that they want teachers to teach children is critical thinking, is how to ask questions and how to deconstruct what it is that is um, seen as normal. Deconstruct it, examine it and then try to work with that. Okay? We live in the world of critical thinking. Some of the old folks here, who feels comfortable with critical thinking? Nary a one. Anybody? <laughs> a couple of youngsters? Goody. Um, see, the young folks are brought up with this uh, critical thinking. Um, and it's a scary world because all of a sudden you've got to ask questions and it might um, make your bones rattle a bit. <laughs> and you think, ah, <laughs> it's a bit scary. But suddenly also we have the World Wide Web on us at all times. I'm in the middle of a, a drama class a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, trying to do drama and some precious child um, has their iPhone on them and says, oh, there's been a bomb blast in Manchester at a Ariana Grande concert. I said, can you put that away? We are supposed to be doing drama. So, you know, 10 minutes after it's happened, I'm in a class on the other side of the world and we know about it. This is the world we live in. We now know about persecution and injustice and horror and abuse. 50, 60 years ago, it wasn't talked about. Let's, let's go back to the World War I era. I've studied this a little wee, a wee little bit. Um, 
During that period of time, the families sent off their sons and their husbands off to war. They were heroes. They were going to, to fight for the cause of right. Heroes. And what the families knew back at home was what the war office wanted them to know and nothing else. In fact, everything was heavily censored. They did not understand or know anything what was really going on. So they were under the impression they, they had their sons were brave. They were heroes and they were fighting for the cause of right. Was that the truth? Well, you know what? It depends on your perspective. If you were the Turkish mother of a teenage boy who'd been killed by Anzac soldiers when the, Tur when the, when the young lad had just gone out to defend his own land, were the Anzac soldiers brave heroes fighting for the cause of right? From her perspective, no, they weren't. Now, I'm not, you know, I've got uh, ancestors who were Anzacs, and so I'm not dissing the Anzacs. I'm just talking about perspective. Do you understand what I'm saying? Just because it, it was right to us from the information that we had does not necessarily mean from another perspective it was the same. It, it's like that with doctrine. There's truth and there's doctrine. <laughs> and how do you sort out the difference between the two. <laughs> like I said before, it's got to, I think it really has to fit well into the body of Christ, okay? If, if this isn't sitting nicely in the flesh of Christ, as, you know, the old WWJD thing, what would Jesus do? If it's not fitting with who Jesus is and, and the bone is protruding, um, you might have to sort of say, I need to go and look at that doctrine again. I need to look at that doctrine and bring it before the Lord and just seek God's heart on it. Um, let's take, for instance, uh, an old scripture that we all know um, from Jeremiah. I know the plans I have for you to prosper and not to harm, to give you a hope and a future, right? Now, good scripture, yeah? Everybody's up for it? To prosper, not to harm, a hope and a future. Yay, we live in the Western world. And what's prosperity mean? Let's get a second car at least, if not, you know. Let's do an upgrade. Let's, uh, let's upgrade everything, okay, to hope, uh, hope and a prosperity. And that's how we in the Western world might take that, that scripture and form a doctrine around it. However, let's suppose we're not in, in, in the Western world. Let's suppose we're a Christian family in Syria who's just had half your family blown up, your house destroyed. You're on the run with people trying to kill you. You get to a boat... You get across the Mediterranean Sea to a country who do not want you. And yet you have the hope of Christ in your heart. How does that scripture look to them? I'm sure it still means something to them. And there's still truth in it. But how it looks to them is very different to how it looks to us. Do you understand what I'm saying? Truth, and, and I'd, I'd be careful here because people get very nervous when you say this. Truth does have a little bit to do with perspective. I could say to you, outside today, the sun is shining, the sky is blue, and it's a beautiful day. And that would be true, right? <laughs> Unless you were a farmer in East Africa where your crops had long since failed with no rain and uh, the last of your water was dwindling and you were another day closer to death by starvation the same blue sky and bright shining sun is not a beautiful day that's the thing about 
when you, you get hold of a doctrine and you jump up and down and you hotly defend it, you've got to really be careful about perspective because we as Westerners see things a whole lot differently to Christians in other countries. Just a, a homework commercial break here. I watched a movie, it's on Netflix if you've got Netflix, called The Good Lie. And it was about um, some Sud- a Sudanese family, actually. There was the three remaining, uh, two brothers and a sister. The others were killed in front of them. Um, and it's about them, their journey through, they were only kids at the time, and then the, through the refugee camp until they finally got to America. But they were Christian kids. They were Christian kids, and they held on to their faith that entire time. Um, but it really shook me up, because, you know, I see God and my faith one way, their view of it was an entirely different thing, how they clung to Christ, how they clung to hope, how they clung to the goodness of God in the midst of that. We've never seen any of it. You you, you know what I'm saying here. So what is truth? Remember this. Remember this when you've got doctrine and, and, and stuff going on. Jesus didn't necessarily call us to be right. He called us to be kind. And to show his love to the world, you will know that you are a Christian by your love. Don't forget this place over here. Is it over here? I've got my bearings right. Yeah, <laughs> I always get the wrong way. The, the um, community hub. Yes, we've put John Graham on as the pastor. Where is John? Yay, we put John Graham on as the pastor. Now, John's going to make it all happen all on his own right he's going to feed all the poor and save all the broken and do everything right it's not going to happen um if unless we get the flesh and the and the blood and the life on the skeleton of truth of christ and we get in and give john a hand it's not happening maybe you can give a donation that'll be grand donation certainly would be grand let's do that um sometimes folks it needs more than a donation it needs you it needs you there with your legs on. Don't just send your bones. <laughs> I watched... Here, another thing. I, this is your homework, okay. Um, you can watch this on your computer. Um, it was a documentary called Filthy Rich and Homeless. Who's seen it? A couple of people. You saw it on telly, but you can watch it on catch-up on your computer. Just dial it in. Filthy Rich and Homeless. It's... Um, a documentary, it's got three parts in it. Some of you might get offended. Some of the language was a bit exciting, a bit colourful. Um, but I have to say that shook me up too. <laughs> it's about here in Melbourne, the homeless here in Melbourne, it really shook me up. I'm going, oh my giddy aunt, we haven't got a clue. We have not got a clue. And so, you know, when we're talking about the community hub over here, at the moment it's just a building with John in it. Uh, he's got plans, but John's not going to make those plans happen on his own. It's going to need us. So don't get comfortable. Just looked at the clock. Shall I keep going, Greg? <laughs> he, he said, I don't want to answer. That's not positive. Uh, all right, just quickly. All right, there's a, um, a prayer I heard. Um, and I'll say it's somebody else's prayer, but I heard it and I wrote it down. If you just pop it up on screen, Jackie. Forgive me for where I have the Bible right, but Jesus wrong. Forgive me for where I have prioritised doctrine over love. That really hit me hard. I just heard a question in my own mind. I'll try to do this quickly. 
Be careful that you don't undermine the truth, this thing, you know. Be careful you don't undermine the truth. I'm not doing that. I'm just asking you to put Jesus, flesh and, bo- flesh and blood and life on the bones. How it looks when the flesh and blood is on it is very different to when it's just the dead bones and just the facts, all right? Um, I hear this objection. I have heard this objection. Jesus wasn't all just gentle, meek and mild. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild. You know, he was in the temple and he took a whip and he overturned the the money changes uh, tables. I'm glad you brought that up. Because, (laughs) just quickly, where was he? He was in the temple. Who was he cross at? He was cross at the religious people who were making money from selling animals so that people could sacrifice for their sin. And what did Jesus say? He said, this is my father's house. It is a house of prayer and you've turned it into a den of thieves. Let's just bring that to who we are now. Remember this whole whip taking thing. Don't forget Jesus took a whip. When Jesus was at the woman with the well, did he have the whip? When he was with the woman who was caught in adultery, did he have the whip? When he found the tax collectors, one up a tree and I don't know where he found the other one, uh, did he have a whip? No, um, you know, the whole whip thing, where was it? It was in the temple. And if we bring that to ourselves, who is the temple now? Anybody? We are. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's in here. It's in our heart. And so if we're going to take a whip to anything, it's got to be here first. We've got to look into our own heart and see what attitude have I got that is about me, is about serving my purpose and about my agenda. So if if we're going to take the whip, it's going to be there. We've got the wonderful scripture up there that Jesus, who was he always cutting crook at? It was always the religious people. Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You look like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones, of the dead and everything unclean. This is the context for which we've brought the word this morning. Truth is like a skeleton. You can beat people to death with the truth, you know, if you rush at them with one of these. (laughs) And you've got to ask yourself, is the truth best served by me having a placard with my statement of faith and everything I believe in and I'll put it on the front lawn and there, let that teach you right and you can get yourself sorted out now because you know what I believe, all right? Or is it better served with us with a soft hand, a blanket, a meal, a hug, an acceptance. How is Christ serving the truth? Yes, he did have a whip. Remember where he used it and on whom he used it because that is, um, that's the scary thought for the day. All right. I think we better pray. <laughs> and so hence Harry Farry uh, was my Pharisee, Harry the Pharisee. Shall we pray? All right, why don't you stand with me? And um, let's just turn our hearts towards God. You know, uh, Jesus said, this is supposed to be my father's house, a house of prayer. And that is what our heart is. This is supposed to be his father's house, the house of prayer, where we turn our heart towards him and open our heart towards him. And we're not serving ourselves. We're serving him. We're not organizing things in our hearts so that it serves us 
but that's how it serves His purpose. And that's where I want to pray this morning. If you just close your eyes and just turn your heart towards God uh, and Father God this morning, in Jesus' name. We ask by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would recharge us again in our heart, the temple. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that, Father, where we build things and organise things in our own heart that do not reflect who you are, we ask, God, that you would come and that you would drive that out of us, if you will, and let us come again and see who you are. And Father God, where we have doctrines that that makes us a bit scared if we let go of it, Father God, I pray that this morning we wouldn't be afraid of that because the, the, the biggest thing that we have to hold on to, the biggest truth we have to hold on to is that, Lord, that you love us and that, Father, that you have opened your arms wide to us and that you have welcomed us in and that we respond to you. Holy Spirit, this morning we respond to you in Jesus' name. Why don't we put our hands together for Meredith's message. Come on, really put some gusto into it. I know you feel like you've been slapped across the side.